Welcome to Sacred Stories Podcast, a place to explore and discuss new and exciting books of consciousness. I'm your host, Rev. Ariel Patricia, and speaking with authors that have shared their wisdom and stories through their books is one of my favorite things to do. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Bernie Siegel, New York Times bestselling author of the groundbreaking book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, and 18 other books to include his newest uh, and his debut fiction novel, Three Men, Six Lives. So I want to read you, before we talk to Bernie, a short overview of what Three Men, Six Lives is about. So a grand adventure born of Bernie's experience of his current and past lives awaits you. When three conflicted men search for deeper meaning in their lives, through their sometimes painful and amusing explorations, they discover there are no coincidences. John Hokma, an empathetic psychotherapist who comes to accept the fact that he became a therapist because of his own problems. George Dingfelder, a stressed out Jewish physician with a name longer than his lean body, a nervous smile, photographic memory, and a tendency to talk too much and fantasize even more. And Carmine Bersamato, an Italian crime boss who doesn't deny he's a racketeer, but makes it clear he's not a thug. With charming manners and a soft spot for his grandchildren, he feels a deep conflict over the nature of his business. Life begins to make sense when John attends a past life workshop held by the famed Dr. Brian Weiss and relives his past life trauma as a troubled teenage boy. What he remembers steers the direction of his life and the lives of George and Carmine. So join this unlikely trio as they learn that love not only heals, but it endures. And sometimes the paths in life that look like detours are just different ways to get where we we are meant to be all along. So with that, I want to say it is my absolute delight to say welcome Dr. Bernie Siegel to Sacred Stories. Thank you very much, Ariel. It's just so fun. As we, I was sharing a little bit before we got on the show, it is just such a beautiful, engaging, funny, and enlightening book that it's a joy. It's an absolute joy to, to help you share it with the world. I haven't thought of this before, but it's like a biography, I guess. It's all the people in the book are parts of me. I mean, one of them is me the surgeon, the physician, um, you know, that's the exact experience I have. And I keep telling people, this is a nonfiction novel. You'd say, what do you mean? The stories are true, but the characters are created. But I am telling what has really happened to me and to other people so they understand what life is like and what life is about. And, uh, you know, that we're all sharing our experiences and what we've learned from it. And that includes our past lives and how that affects our present life. You know, there's a part of us that is living with an experience. It's in our consciousness. And that includes talents. I always say when you you see a five-year-old playing the violin, and I never forget this boy who was on television, He said, the first time I saw a violin, I ran over and hugged it. (laughs) I mean, it it, it was just obvious to me that he has a violinist in him. And so when you see him pick up a violin at his age and start playing on television with an orchestra, 
it's not that he took classes. It's this is who he was, and that talent is in him. And I think this is true of all of us. And that the more we know of ourselves, the better we understand ourselves and why we are who we are. Bernie, there's so much wisdom and, and there's so much giving in this book. Before we dig into past lives, consciousness, and, and, and how that actually helps us in today's, our lives today. But before that, is that why you wrote your 19th book? I mean, you've written 18 others. You're a New York Times bestselling author a few times. Why, why did you feel so called that you wanted this story to be told? Oh. This book, it's, it's like a journal. I've been writing it for years. Uh, originally, it was not called that. Um, and my wife died two and a half years ago. And as I was sort of tidying up the house and finding all the stuff I've accumulated, you know, to clean up and tidy up, I came across this script. Um, and I, you know, it just affected me. But as I began to read it, I, I was a different person. So I began to edit it and change it. And it, it became something different and something I could really enjoy and appreciate. Uh, and that would get published. Not like what I had written a few years ago, um, which was still more of my old style of intellect actual, you know, writing something. This came from my heart. And all these characters in it are me. I mean, I know that. But they're also who they are. But as I read it, I know it's like each one is a part of me with what they're sharing. So I keep relearning my lessons. And I enjoy reading what I've written. Uh, because it seems new to me when I reread it because I can't remember every word. I mean, I have found sitting in front of me on my desk is a journal I wrote in 1996. And I, I'm reading it every day now, you know, the notes I made, because the wisdom was there, the comments I was making, and it helps me live today. So I'm still reading another one of my books was 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. I'm still reading that, and that, that's... I mean, 14 years ago. But again, it's each day I get knowledge and information from myself. And I'm glad to reread it. Mm. I think I, this goes on for most of us, that the stuff gets buried in us. Just like this book, the past lives are buried in us. They're there. And if we bring them forth, well... The biblical, what you bring forth will save you. If you keep it stored, it will destroy you. So mm -hmm. he who seeks to save his life will lose it. And what that means is when you become what everybody else wants, it may save your life, but you're losing your true self. But he who's willing to lose his life will save it. That's losing the untrue self. And I think that's what the writing does for me. It helps me bring out my true self, no longer my intellectual self, as when I would write in college, but my true self coming from my heart. So when I read the book, 
it's like, oh yeah, I love him. I love that character. I love what he had to say. <laughs> well, the characters, well, the characters are so fun. So mm -hmm. fun. We have John Hokma, who is a psychotherapist. George Dingfelder, who's a Jewish surgeon, who is based on, on you. Carmine Bersamato, an Italian crime boss. And, but each of them, you know, are, are parts of you and they're, and they're parts of others. But that's why it's, it's so entertaining because you're able to weave really beautiful eternal wisdom through this, I have to say, it's funny, like laugh out loud at sometimes funny, but endearing characters and, and the, and the experiences that they have. You know, uh, Dr. Brian Weiss, who's known as, you know, the, the preeminent past lives book, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters, he's the author of that book. He read Three Men, Six Lives. He's in Three Men, and Three Men, Six Lives. And um, he wrote an incredible endorsement of it. And one of the things he said is, timeless wisdom flows from the mouths of Bernie's characters in this important and entertaining book. Concepts of spiritual psychotherapy, past lives, and the fearless courage born of unconditional love and awakened consciousness are carefully explored. I highly recommend Three Men, Six Lives to you. Bernie, I don't think, I don't think there could be a, a, a better, no, a better I mean, endorsement he, than that. He knows how to put in words his feelings. You know, um, as a psychiatrist, um, he can say that and put it there. I mean, I've known him. He's more than a psychiatrist. He's a wonderful person because he went to school, medical school at Yale. And psychiatry was his, you know, what he was training in. But in medical school, you have to take all these different courses. And I remember him telling me, I love being in the operating room with you because you're not a normal person, you know, you're not a normal surgeon. And for somebody who was going to be a psychiatrist, it was exciting to be there because I played music. I talked to patients under anesthesia. I did many things that were considered crazy until everybody saw how much the patients benefited. And then everybody was doing what Siegel was doing. Mm -hmm. and admiring what were called my crazy patients. But that became, instead of a term of, you know, I don't know what to do with this person, Siegel's crazy patient, it became an affectionate term. Oh, that's one of Siegel's crazy patients. That's why they're doing so well. Um, and Brian, as I said, loved being in the operating room with me because it was a wonderful place for a psychiatrist to be and to watch what was going on and how it affected people. So... Well, you've always for years. Yeah, well, you've always led. I mean, your 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 book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, was about the enduring power of love to heal, yeah. and 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 this weaves that power, but also the consciousness that it that love not only heals in this life, but it endures. Right. That's a time. that Brian went through the same thing I went through when he first got into past lives and wrote his book, Many Lives, Many Masters, he wasn't a believer. But again, his patients told him stories that you couldn't deny. You know, you knew they were true. I think two of them met in the waiting room, you know, when coming to see him as a psychiatrist. 
and started talking to each other and got into their own past lives. And so many times, especially with physicians, whether it's past lives, near-death experience, um, what is called radical remission, which should really be self-induced healing, um, they have terms that turn them off from the psychological stuff. They're into the diagnosis. And what Brian noted, I've noted, I cared for people. So I knew their stories and I knew what was, that something was happening in them. Um, and even though, well, what was I called? Uh, the controversial Dr. Siegel. Every time I'd get an interview, that was like the headline. <laughs> an interview with the controversial Dr. Siegel. Because the physicians weren't being told in their training what I was experiencing. And uh, so, oh, he's crazy. But well, I'm not well, crazy Bernie, anymore. Yeah. Bernie, you went from controversial to groundbreaking. Right. To, to I would say really life-saving because... What you talk about, honestly, even myself, having experienced different past lives through regression, they made so much sense. You know, our, we're, our souls and spirits, you know, are, are really tuned in and smart. And what I found is that we see or we're shown from our higher selves, I, I will, will call it, the lives that impact us the most or that we need to see to understand something happening in this life, feelings we have, experiences we're having. Any past life that I've experienced has helped me. There's information that has helped me live this life with more peace and joy and, and move forward. Right. Would, would you agree? Yeah. You, if you have an open mind, and as I said, this, this quiet mind, what I call the still pond, that's when you can see a reflection of the truth. But, and, and I talk to lots of people, so animal intuitives, all kinds of people. The common theme is always you have to quiet your mind. Then the truth happens, the communication happens. And that's what most people can't do because they're busy thinking and worrying when if they would just quiet their minds, amazing things would happen. So I saw it in cancer patients when they were expected to die and came back with no sign of cancer, but there was always a transformation in their life. And I think to me, it's also expressing all these things. I don't worry what people think about me. Oh, he's crazy or he's this, or he's that. That's not my problem. I'm sharing stories that are true mm. and my hope is always that if I get it into people's lives and minds, that when something happens to them, they say, oh, that's what Siegel talked about. And then their minds open up a bit. Because very often what I tell people is literally to read fiction if you want to know the truth. Now, why would I say that? Because the fiction authors create characters like I've done. But the stories aren't fiction. The stories are coming from a place of truth. So many times in novels, I will read statements that are beautiful in terms of what they say that agree with me. 
and I know they are the truth. The characters are speaking them. And it, it could be a book like um, Cancer Ward, where there are patients and talking about self-induced healing, you see, that doctors don't talk about. They talk about um, spontaneous remission or radical remission, but it isn't radical and it isn't spontaneous. It's what the patient did. So when you run into stories, then people's minds open up a bit. You know, there's nothing to fight about. It's just a story. But if you read enough stories and meet enough people, then you begin to realize there is truth in this. Because look what all these people are sharing. And uh, then it changes you and your attitude towards life. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I that's what I love the most about publishing books is is really the the truth through storytelling. And, and speaking of that, Bernie, again, this is your lives, your past lives. It also involves your wife, Bobby. Just, you know, not to give away the whole story, but tell a little bit of the story of um, George Dingfelder and his relationship with his wife and how that is a is a um, reflection of the past lives with you and your wife, Bobby. Well, I can't remember all the details they put in there, but um, <clears throat> I mean, one example was as a surgeon, I felt it was very painful. I was burying all kinds of feelings inside of me. And um, even when I painted a portrait of myself, I painted myself with a cap, a mask and a gown on. If I held that picture up here now, you wouldn't know it's me. And Elizabeth Kugler-Ross was the one who helped me to, you know, stop covering up everything. And my wife did too, because she found my journal and said, there's nothing funny in it. And I said, my life isn't funny. And then she told me stories I told her and the kids that had them laughing about crazy things that happened at the hospital. But I never wrote about them in my journal. And that really woke me up. You know, all I'm putting down is what went wrong, tragedies, everything else. Um, so my wife has always been a therapist to me. And, I, and this I always share with women, because when I get angry and upset about life, she would say, honey, you're so handsome when you're angry. <laughs> and what would I do? I'd burst out laughing and the anger was gone. So I have to say, my wife was always a therapist. Um, one story that I forgot which book I put it in, because she made lunch for me every day. It's in a pail that says love all over it, a red, you know, lunch box with the word love all over it. And one day, I, I mean, it was just filled with emergencies. It was just draining me. And I finally, in the late afternoon, got a chance to pop open my lunch pail, because I was starving. And in it was her usual note. But instead of the X's and O's, the hugs and kisses and the love, it said, hold on. And I thought, what an amazing woman. She <laughs> knew what I was going to go through today. So she sent me this note to hold on. And believe me, because of that note, I pulled myself together and got through. So I get home that night, I say, honey, I really have to thank you. She said, for what? Your note. What about my note? Hold on. I had this horrible day. Everything was going wrong. All kinds of emergencies. 
And once I read that, I held on. She said, honey, it was a big sandwich with a lot of vegetables. I just wanted you to hold on. <laughs> and so that's my message to everybody. Hold on. <laughs> but, well, you, but you do. Oh, you do. But you yeah. do have a story. Part of the story in the book is about George. So I'm going to give a little bit. The book has so much in it. I'm, I'm okay giving away a little bit. In the book, George is at the his wit's end. And he's quite the character in the book. And he thinks that he would like to possibly eliminate, have his wife eliminated. And he's not looking to divorce her, right? And of course, this doesn't happen. And, and the story evolves. But it starts there. And then George relives a past life. Right, Bernie, in the book, right. and and he relives a past life where he actually ends up, um, you know, Kill, killing, yeah. killing someone. That was what I went through. Right. Uh, Tell that story, Bernie. That's it what, because devastated me because <clears throat> it. I mean, w the reason it happened to me was be not because I saw the psychiatrist, but I was talking to somebody on the phone, just like I'm talking to you, and she learned how busy I was because I said to her, I can't keep talking. I have an interview. And she said, Barney, why are you living this life? You know, meaning why are you so busy? Why don't you slow down? What are you? But when she said that to me, I said, Oh my God. She said, what is it? What happened? What did I do? I said, you didn't do anything, but it was like a, a screen, a movie went up in front of me. I saw myself with the sword killing animals, people, I said, oh, my God, maybe that's why I'm a surgeon, to help people with a knife. And a little while after that, while flying cross-country, I went into a trance and saw this whole elaborate story where, and it really taught me about myself and my life because I went to get therapy after it. I cried for hours. But what it was was being asked by the lord of my castle to kill the neighbor's daughter because of the problem he was causing over the land between the two properties. I said, let me kill him. No, I want to kill his daughter and teach him a lesson. Well, what if I say no? Then I'll kill you. So I went and killed this young woman. And I decided I'll kill her at night. So I went to their castle and I lied to them that I'm passing through. You mind if I spend the night? And they said, fine. So that night, I went to her room, opened the door. She had a dog. I killed the dog. The noise woke her up because I wanted to kill her in her sleep. And when she turned to look at me, I saw my wife's face and chopped her head off. And I cried for hours, literally. It was incredible to me. But it also taught me about this life. Why, from the first time I saw my wife, her face just hypnotized me. There was something about it. And she was so beautiful. I never thought she would marry me. I never literally would have asked her for a date. It was a mistake, so to speak, a coincidence. Because I was talking to her about the camp we were working out at and that they left the pool open at night so we could all come and take a swim if it was a hot night. And she said, are you asking me for a date? And of course I said, yes. <laughs> and again, no coincidences. And that crazy 
episode led to our getting married a couple of years later because we were married while I was still in college and medical school. And, um, you know, we spent our life. It's like, as we grew up, we grew up together. She became a school teacher, which is what I needed. Um, cause she <laughs> knew how to take care of me. She taught kindergarten and, <laughs> you know, she knew how to take care of her crazy husband. You know, like, are you comparing, are you comparing yourself to a kindergartner, Bernie? Yeah. You're doing? yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, it was the way she dealt with me, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That she knew how to deal with me and not criticizing me, but loving me and guiding me and teaching me. And, uh, as you, as you do for others, I will, I just have to interject and say, as you do for others, listeners, I learned how to do that too, you know, and and not just to be thinking, but again, pay attention to the heart and the feelings. Yeah. Listeners, we're listening to, we're speaking with Dr. Bernie Siegel, um, author of his new book, Three Men, Six Lives, which is his debut fiction novel, his 19th book, his debut fiction novel. But as we say, it's really a nonfiction story because it is Bernie and his lives and his past lives and his wife's lives and others, you know, that are close to him. So he has created these three incredibly entertaining characters. John Hochma, a psychotherapist who needs therapy himself. George Dingfelder, a Jewish surgeon who is, you know, he's he's quite the character and he, he talks a lot and he fantasizes more. And Carmine Bersamato, an Italian crime boss with, with really a heart of gold. And it's their experiences um, and their remembrances of their past lives that steer the direction and the healing in this life. And I may say all those names are the names of real people. Um, I don't know, you know, if they're still alive where they are or anything, but they were all people I I knew. Bernie, one of the quotes that we have on the book that you were you wanted to include uh, is the future is unconsciously created long in advance. That's a Carl Jung quote. Explain to our audience what that means and why that was important to you to, to have that on the book. Well, let me say the last part of it. The future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. So when you go to a fortune teller, what they're reading is you, say, what's within you. And what I began to see, again, a lot from my contact with Elizabeth Huber-Ross, looking for help with all my emotions and troubles as a surgeon, father, you know, all these things. Um, And Elizabeth helped get me started uh, on Carl Jung's work in writing. And he was hundreds of years ahead of everybody uh, with his quotes and comments. And one of the things was uh, the use of drawings. Well, or like a dream that can tell you the future, literally. And I began because of what Elizabeth Gouveros told me about my life from an outdoor scene I drew. Um, things like, why is 11 important? Why do you ask? You drew 11 trees. What are you covering up? Why do you ask? You used a white crayon on white paper. I mean, she, 
all of a sudden knew all about my life in this meaningless drawing. So it changed me because I went to the hospital with crayons. And you begin to realize how all of this is stored and it comes out through images. So it can help people even decide who should I marry, what job should I take, what treatment, where should I live? And it was unbelievable to me to have all this revealed to me and uh, be proven by the fact that I went with crayons and had patients do things and realized how much it revealed. And I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just seeing it, looking at it with them and how all this truth came out. So it has helped me to draw pictures of myself um, when I had decisions to make or when I wanted to know if I was developing as a whole person. And let me just say simply, it's like if you drew yourself without hands, how are you going to get a grip on things? You know what I mean? If you don't have ears, what? how are you going to hear? You're not listening. So little things made enormous differences. And it also showed me how you could reprogram people by getting them to visualize what they desired, not what they were afraid of or negative. And most of the time, the trouble is art therapists don't know anatomy. So they don't see what people are revealing about their bodies and diseases that I would see and Jung would see. Because some of the art therapists would say to me, oh, one of them who knew Jung many years ago um, said, oh, he was fascinated by the somatic aspects of the drawings. I said, yes, because he knew anatomy. You don't. And she wrote a book. Um, oh, what is it? I think it's a secret world of drawings. Um, and she got children to draw pictures because they weren't worried about being artists. And these are children with cancer. And then she began to realize how much information is in the children's drawings about whether they're going to live or die, how long they have left, about treatment, all these things. And so I began to do that in the hospital too. And no, I always say nobody's against success. It changed people because, again, the controversial Dr. Siegel. But then when they saw the drawings, oh, that's interesting. Thank you. That's great. So the anesthesiologist literally made up a coloring book for children because I did a lot of children's surgery. And they would come in and draw, you know, color in all these pictures. And we could tell an example. There's a picture of an anesthesiologist. At the bottom of the page, it says, you'll meet somebody called an anesthesiologist who's wearing an outfit that looks like green pajamas. One of the children draws him in a red pajama outfit. I said to him, this worries me. He said, yeah, his mother has muscular dystrophy. If he has a certain genetic abnormality, he will have an adverse effect to muscle relaxants and could literally take his life. I said, turn to the last page. If he's purple, spiritual color, I'm sending him home. And the last page was not purple. It was more red and black about I'm hurting and I'm unhappy. So we went ahead with the surgery. But see, those are the things that woke up other professionals who thought Siegel's crazy. What the hell is the drawing going to? Yeah, right. it shows. And, and the so, same. And, 
Yeah, and it shows the, you know, to tie it back to the Three Men, Six Lives, your book, is it, it shows the consciousness that endures, the consciousness that guides us, you know, so we don't start this life with a clean slate with no connection to the eternal souls that we are. I always, I mean, I had a near-death experience when I was four years old and choking on a toy. And what I found fascinating when I would talk about it, I would talk about the boy on the bed. And I thought one day, why don't I say me or myself? Why is it the boy on the bed? And it really hit home for me because this happened when I was four years old. I'm still a kid talking about it. It's because you realize that's not you. That's a body that's dying, not you. You're alive, your consciousness, your thinking, seeing, feeling. And it woke me up to hear myself talk about it when I didn't die, but referring to it as the kid on the bed. And we have to realize the body You know, it's like a tool, an instrument given to us to work with. So our consciousness can accomplish something, you know, versus not having the ability to do anything. But I have to say that what's going on in our consciousness uh, also dictates what we do with our body. So when you're killing people and being violent, uh, yeah, that has to do with your growing up without love and seeking revenge and all those crazy things. And that when you can bring love into people's lives, you can reparent them and create a new person. That I've learned from people I was taking care of. That I, Bernie, that I love. I love that when we can bring love into our lives or bring love into other people's lives, that we can help, you know, even we change them. And I think that- We make it easy for people by, what started me was a young suicidal, young woman in my office who said to me, you're my CD. I said, what the hell are you talking about? She said, you're my chosen dad. And that woke me up, you know, that she was feeling the love for me and could be reborn forgetting the abuse of her parents and what they did to her. And I'm pointing and my desk is a card that says happy father's day to my bonus dad mm-hmm. and that's somebody who called me to help her commit suicide about 30 years ago and i said i love you you're a child of god and she's alive today loving me and helping me mm-hmm. it, it's incredible her name is becky and from texas and we've met and she keeps sending me these wonderful cards that keep me going and inspire me. I think that's, Bernie, to, to tie a bow on, on this because um, I think that that's a beautiful place to, to, to kind of to leave the, the un, unending, ever-enduring conversation of our consciousness and love. And, and that is what you share with others. I think that is why even Brian Weiss in his endorsement, he also wrote that when you were, um, he was, you were a mentor of his on the surgical faculty when he was in Yale. 
that this was in the 1960s, that you were then and has constantly remained a boundless source of kindness, empathy, and wisdom. And that Three Men, Six Lives is your latest contribution to the evolution of medicine and psychiatry and to the transformative power of love as the ultimate healer. So, yeah, so, well, I can I, tell you, when I read that, uh, it like made my life authentic. It's, you know, when he could share those, that open statement. So if people are calling me crazy, they would now be calling him crazy. You know, <laughs> controversial. But he spoke from his heart about mm-hmm. what he experienced and what he saw. See, experience. When you experience it, you can't deny it. Mm-hmm. So when he experienced those things with me, he shared his feelings and his statement. And that, I felt, was like winning a medal, if you know what I mean. Or winning the Olympics. It, it, it was such a gift to read that statement by him. It, it, well, and, that's beca- and the reason he wrote it is, and the, is because you are a gift to so many others. And um, Dr. Bernie Siegel, the, and the listeners, if you want to read an excerpt of Three Men, Six Lives, you can find it on our website, Sacred Stories Publishing. Three Men, Six Lives is available worldwide um, through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, booksellers worldwide. And you can also order a copy direct from Sacred Stories Publishing. And I have to say, um, Bernie, that this this book really is a, I agree with Brian, that it is a contribution, you know, to the transformative power of love as the ultimate healer, which which I believe is is your legacy. And I yeah. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for having Sacred Stories Publishing publish it. And thank you for being my guest today on the Sacred Um, Stories Podcast. Love is the answer. I don't care what the problem is. And I literally tell people to be a love warrior, that when somebody's driving you crazy, say to them, I love you. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what to do with you. I, I have done this with violent people in the street. You know, could have had a gun. I mean, they're screaming, cursing everybody. And depending on their age, I've gone up to some and said, I want you to know I love you. I'm sorry your parents don't. And he quieted down and left. And I hope he went home to talk to his parents. And other adults, I've said, I don't know what's happening in your life, but I want you to know I love you. Mm. And they have stopped. And I'm talking about being out on the street, the sidewalk. And everybody in the street with me would come over and say, thank you, thank you. Oh, my God. You... I couldn't believe what you said and what happened. Yeah, well, it is it is your legacy, and and we'll we'll need to leave it there. But it is your legacy, and I will say that uh, listeners, you pick up the book Three Men Six Lives by Dr. Bernie Siegel, and in not only again is it enter- enlightening and entertaining, and you will laugh out loud at some parts, but but it really truly is. He weaves the wisdom of the transformational power and the enduring power of love, and you will be. I believe better for better for and and know the gifts you receive. Yeah. So live the sermon is what I tell people. Live the sermon, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Thank you so much for being on Sacred Stories today. Thank you, Ariel. And listeners, thanks so much for listening to Sacred Stories podcast. Again, we've been talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel about his new book, Three Men, Six Lives, a debut fiction novel on past lives and the enduring power of love and consciousness to transcend lives but as we've been saying it's really 
It's really a nonfiction novel, just told with some really great characters. So we encourage you to get a copy of that. And as always on Sacred Stories, I encourage you to write your sacred story well. <laughs>